I'm Melina Walling, reporting for the Bucks County Courier Times. It's 2020, and this year has seen its fair share of tragedy. Yet, 2020 also marks a tragic anniversary from the past. 75 years ago, in 1945, Allied troops finally liberated prisoners who were being held in Nazi concentration camps. Ernie Gross was one of those prisoners. He was 15 when it happened. As a young boy growing up in Romania, he had already faced hardships in life, and other children called him the boy who never laughed. It took him a long time to talk about the horrors that followed. But now he has made a practice of it, telling his story at schools and rotary clubs and public events. In the following story, you'll hear Ernie in his own words, on the tragedy he faced, how he overcame it, and what it means for us today. I'm going to talk to you about uh, my experience before the camp, in the camp, and after the camp, right? Uh, my name is Ernie Gross, and I was born in Romania, Transylvania. The name of this town was City. And from the time I remember myself, nothing was going for me. Uh, that time I had... Uh, we have four brothers and one sister. When I was seven years old, my father announced that he had a, a working permit to go to Argentina to work there for four years. And when he's going to come home, he's going to open a business to take care of the family. Well, that time, I didn't know the difference between four years or four months or four days. And he left. And my mother started to miss him. And the money didn't come fast enough to take care of everything. So my mother taught me how to be a grown-up. And she left. And I was home a whole day alone, being seven years old. I don't know where she went, what kind of work she had, but she always came home at 6 o'clock. By that time, she made dinner for everybody. We were eating. So every night, because there is no toys. So we were playing with the pots and pans, and we were having fun. And I remember my mother used to holler, how could you laugh and enjoy yourself when you don't know what's happening to your father? Maybe somebody kidnapped him, maybe somebody robbed him, and she couldn't understand why. We were laughing, and she was always worried. This has been going on through the four years. So that was my first experience, how to be a grown-up, and I missed out how to be a child. Because of that, uh, I uh, didn't feel like laughing, and, uh, and I didn't even like the way I looked like, because my mother couldn't afford to buy me new clothes. Everything was handed down for the three brothers. So my pants were either too short or too long, then I didn't like. To go to school was even worse. The teacher didn't like Jewish students, so he never paid attention to me. He never asked me to write something down on the board like I'm not there. The, the students who dominated the class, they didn't care for me either. So I felt I don't even belong there. So this was going on all the time. When lunchtime came, they didn't like me because I came with a kosher lunch, 
so they will take their lunch, the ham and the bacon, rubber on my lip. I, I couldn't do nothing because if I, they were hoping that I'm going to defend myself, then they could beat me up. So I, I just let them do it. When I went home and I saw my two brothers, three brothers, I was ashamed to tell them what happened in the school. And of course, I didn't tell my parents. This has been going on through the school years. When I went to the synagogue on Saturday, I heard him saying, here comes a boy who never left. So everything was not in my favor. So now comes 1944, April the 15th, happened to be the last day of Passover. We no longer had matzo left, and of course we didn't have no bread, because we have to bake it. So my, ma my mother said to all of us, who's going to be a volunteer to get up in the morning with me to help me bake the bread? My three older brothers didn't say anything, so it's me. So I'm going there, the bread is already in the oven. There's two Hungarian police. He already told me and my mother, wake up everybody. And in an hour you have to be in the synagogue. If you have money in your pocket or jewelry, you gotta put it on the table. When, when you leave your house, don't lock the door. We didn't even know there's a war. We didn't even know in, in 1938 there was a Kristallnacht. We didn't even know the war in, in Russia, the Germans were losing it a little bit in 1942. So we just followed what they told us. When we walked out of the house, we saw from all over the places people walking into the synagogue. Once everybody was in there, they locked the doors. There was no water there, no light, and uh, no place to go to the toilet. So you have to find a corner. For the men and uh, the boys, it wasn't that bad. But for the woman, it was very ashamed to do this. The second day being there was already no more fresh air. It was like smelling from everybody. And the third day was almost no air. Finally, the door opened and we felt we were happy that we couldn't get fresh air. But we didn't know there was already a line horse and wagon. They told us to go in there. If anybody jumps off, we are going to shoot you right away. I don't know how long the journey took. We went in deep in Hungary. And we got to a city, it's called Sirlis. There was already uh, a few streets with empty houses. Those are the Jewish people who already went to Auschwitz. We took over their houses, like three, four families in each, each house. When nighttime came, uh, we all slept on the floor, there was no other way to sleep. In the house that I was in was a rabbi and his son-in-law. So we were in this ghetto for about three weeks. So finally they came, came after us. From each house, they took a certain amount of people. Sure enough, the house I was in, who do you think they took first? The rabbi and his, and his son-in-law. And my family 
they didn't take yet. And a week later, they came for everybody. There was that uh, cattle train, and you had to go into the wagon until there's no more room, standing no more only. Before they locked the door, <coughs> they gave us a big bucket. They told us anybody has to go in the bucket. Anybody has to go, go to that bucket. I don't know how long the destination took to Auschwitz. We didn't even go. We didn't even know we were going to Auschwitz. But once we arrived there, the door opened. We were surrounded with German soldiers. They told us, anybody has luggage, you have to leave it there. And you have to come out real fast. So my mother and father, holding on to a younger brother, younger sister, they came out of the way of me and my brother, and now we're standing in line. Prisoners, Jewish prisoners who work in the camp, their job came to go on the train, on the wagon, take out the luggage, put it on the truck. But one prisoner, I saw him a few times, he looks at me. Finally, when nobody saw him, he jumped off the train and he came over to me. He says, how old are you? I said, I'm 15. He said, you better Say you're 17, because if you're 15, you're going to go where your parents went. I said, where did my parents go? He said, because your father hold on to a younger brother and your mother to a younger child, they went to the left. I said, well, what, hap what happened when you go to the left? He said, you see the two buildings? They're going to go into the first building. They're going to tell them to get undressed and they're going to take a shower. And after the shower, uh, instead, of instead of water coming down, gas came and they died. And they got go to the next building, uh, to the crematorium. I'm listening to this. My two brothers are listening to this. And then he says to me, look up in the sky. You see the dark smoke? Sun cannot get through it. This is going to be in four hours, your parents. I'm listening. My two brothers are in front of me. I'm listening to this. So my two brothers, he looked at them right away. He said, go to the right. That means they're going to go to a camp, working camp. Now my turn came. He was not saying anything. Because he was not saying anything made me more nervous. He was scanning me, trying to figure out where to put me. Then I had this idea the last minute. When he's going to ask me again, I'm going to stand up straight and tall and say it strongly. When I did that, he told me to go to the right. So now I'm with my two brothers, and we are in a building, a big empty building, full with uh, prisoners. My brother and I talked about everything, but not what's going to happen with the parents. So finally, they took us. We were, we were in, a, in a field. In the middle was a table with electric shavers. They told us to get undressed. Everybody has to shave everybody. So now, not only did I lose everything, my clothes, 
I still have my, my name. Uh, because in Germany, in Auschwitz, about a short time, they didn't have time to put the number on my hand. So they gave it to me on my jacket. And my number was 71,366. When we were dressed in the prison clothes, and I looked over the fence, you couldn't tell between a man and a woman. We all looked alike. Because we were dressed alike, nobody had any hair. My, my two brothers, they took that day to a camp. They didn't take me yet. So my, my life is still in danger. But the next day, they couldn't care less. They needed help to barely everybody but going. So now I'm going to a city, Kaufering. It's like uh, 15 kilometers from Munich. In that city, there is seven camps. Once, once we were in the camp, everybody knew already, make sure you don't wind up in Camp 7, because Camp 7 is the end of the line. If you cannot produce enough, they feel that you're not working fast enough, that's what happened to you. So they put you first in Camp uh, 1, and when we went in there, all of a sudden uh, I see what's happening. I got so, I can't, I can't even uh, tell you how lonely and helpless I was. In the morning they give you a third of black coffee, when you came home at night, they give you three-quarter soup. If you're lucky, you got a, a, a little piece of potato in it. They gave us a piece of bread like this for eight people. So we designated the person to make sure every slice is equal, because when you're hungry, everything counts. So we took eight pieces of paper with a number from one to eight, same thing in the bag, whatever you picked was yours. In my group was a father and son. And I, the father next to me, and I saw he looked at the son because the son got the middle and he got the end. He said to his son, you know, I need more energy than you. How about I give you my end, you give me the middle. He thought about it and he said to his father, I'm just as hungry as you are, I'm not doing it. That gave me an idea if I'm going to have some extra food, you don't share it, not even with, with your best friend. Because if you share it, you might not survive. Once we got a slice, some people would eat it immediately. I said, why, why don't you take a little bit for lunch and a little bit for dinner? And his answer was, how do I know I'll be here for lunch? So those kind of people died first because they gave up hope. I made up my mind every day when I got up, no matter what life is going to give me that day, I want to be here the next day. Never gave up. I took my piece of bread and put it in my pocket, and I took crumbs, and it lasted, lasted me till five o'clock. Every time a little piece, another piece. When we arrived there, the uh, uh, cattle train came with a 50-pound bag of cement. 
En uh, er was brillen er on, on the platform. En when you got there, you put it on your shoulder. You had to carry it a tenth of a mile to put it in a truck. I was 15 years old. When I put it on my shoulder, I felt uh, uh, my bones were going to break. The soldier near me always said, Mach schnell, Mach schnell means walk faster, do it faster. So you, 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 you'd be surprised what, what your body could take when you have to. So now, <coughs> uh, they don't let you be in the same camp too long because they're afraid you're going to get to know the people and you're going to do an uprising. So now they send you to camp too. And this goes on all the time. But it got to a point that I really couldn't produce enough. I know it already. I know what's going to happen to me. So one day, we're lining up to come back to the camp and I see the soldier is pulling out either my cousin, either my from my group. And then he's pulling me out also. So we already knew we're not going back. We're going to go to Lager 7. Lager 7, you don't work no more. And because of that, they don't give you no more to eat. So we were there one day without food, the second day, and when you're hungry and tired, you're also cold. So Yemayer said to me, the sun is shining. Maybe we should go out of the barrack and get some uh, fresh air. And it was the uh, beginning of April, the grass was coming out already. And he looked at it and he says to me, if God could eat grass, I could eat also. So he starts eating the grass. I said, you tell me when you finish eating how it tastes like, and maybe I do the same thing. So he finished eating and said, Yemayer, how did it taste? He said, it didn't taste like anything, but at least I got something in my stomach. The third day, the train came again. Uh, when the train is traveling, we didn't know where we're going, and the American plane comes, the train stops, and they told us to, to run into the woods. When the American planes left, they told us to come back into the train. And uh, I don't know how long it took to get with the train. Eventually we arrived in Dachau. And from there, I don't even know how long we had to walk to get into the game. I didn't see no buildings. I just was busy dragging myself little by little. Around noontime, finally I saw the crematorium and I knew that I'm going to go in there. Instead of getting scared, I was more like happy. I'm not going to be cold anymore. I'm not going to be hungry. Yeah, but more like, instead of being scared, I was more like in a happy mood. And all of a sudden, the soldier near me, he's throwing down his weapon. And he was a little lady, and he fell into water, he splashed on me. We don't know what it means, we, we are not moving, but I turned around and saw the American jeep at the gate. So I know that we were liberated, and what happened next, I have no recollection. All I know, the next day I found myself in a sanatorium, which is a convalescent home, to recuperate. 
they, t- they told the nurses there what kind of food to give us because we were not used to the regular food. We could the stomach. Many people were, soldiers were giving them uh, hot dogs from a can and bread, and the stomach couldn't take it. So actually they died. After the delivery, they died. And I was getting better and better. I don't know what happened to my two brothers, and I don't even know what happened to anybody. And uh, when we were a little bit healthier, they designated the room. Anybody who wants to go services in the morning, we can go there. So I go into that room, and I'm praying, and the door opens. No matter what, you have to look who's coming in. Sure enough, it's my older brother. His name is Abraham. If he came alone, I know my brother didn't survive. His name was David, and he was my favorite from all, from all the seven people. So I said, where is my brother? He said, I'll tell you later. So he told me that of starvation. So he says to me, now we know you and I are alive. We don't know anybody else. Maybe we should go home, and maybe uh, we're going to see, find somebody there. So we f- went home. We found a- another brother, the oldest one, and uh, my sister's name. My brother's name was Yitzhak. My sister's name was Dina. My brother did not go to concentration camp because he was 21 years old and he was listed in the army, but not as a soldier, just to do labor work. So he, so he wanted to know what happened. So I told him everything, but not what happened in Auschwitz. And I was hoping he's not going to ask me, because I was not ready to tell him. So he did not ask me, and I found out later in life that he was afraid to listen to what I have to say. So now we are back, uh, we are four now left. But uh, I was un- under 21, and if you're under 21 and you lost your parents, you could come uh, come to the United States. Uh, Abraham, my sister, they went to Israel. My older brother went to, to uh, Belgium, and we met every five years in Israel. That's how our life went. So I had a time to go back to normal because I, 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 uh, my brain was already messed up with the camp. Don't share anything. Every time I, uh, I gave my sons uh, every week spending money, I gave it to them, but in my heart I knew I'm going to have less. So I decided I have to retrain my brain to be charitable. I remember that the Hebrew word is called tzedakah. And the word tzedakah means if you could afford it, you have to give charity. Because you have to say to yourself, it's always better to give than somebody to give you. It's always better to help than somebody to help you. Another meaning is you got to be nice to each other. It doesn't matter how you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. We all come from the same source. That, that's how I, I manage with my life. So the bottom line is, if you don't 
lose hope, uh, you could live longer and you could be happier. That's why I'm 91. I'm still here.